Welcome to the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shitama, author, teacher, speaker, and coach. I focus on your spiritual, emotional, and physical well-being to help you be the best leader possible. Each episode explores research and practical tips so you can be a non-anxious presence personally and professionally. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 163 of the Non-Anxious Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Shitama, and I am taking four weeks leave from my day job to get renewed. But during that time, I still want to keep the podcast going, and I am taking a suggestion from one of our listeners, Lauren, who asked if I would do more Friedman's Fables. So for the next several weeks, I'm going to do a Friedman's Fable, and I'm going to break it down. If you don't have the book, it's definitely a must-have. Even if you can't get into Generation to Generation and understand it, Friedman's Fables will help you to understand the concepts in a really entertaining way. So, without further ado, here is episode 163 on Friedman's Fables, Attachment. Once upon a time, a storm-tossed ship gave up one of its passengers. He clung to debris that had gone over the side with him and floated for a few hours. Finally, he could hold on no longer, and he let go. When he came to, he found himself on an uncharted island. The island was perfect. Tall palms, verdant brush, sparkling hills. Hardly believing it was real, he tried to wake himself from his dream, though with some fear that if he succeeded, he would find himself dead. It appeared, however, that he was very much alive. Curiosity and hunger moved him to explore. As he invaded the jungle's depths, he was struck by the calm. There were no loud cries of birds or beasts, and there seemed to be, if anything, a certain order everywhere. He spent most of that first day feasting with his eyes and mouth. Many delicious fruits and nuts were easily available to his reach, and his stomach was soon satisfied. But so wondrous were the colors. The more his eyes took in, the more he wanted to devour. As the first evening came on and he prepared for sleep, he found that the climate, while cool, was in no way chilling. Wearily, he lay down to bed upon a mattress of soft leaves, thankful to be still alive yet a little scared at being so alone. When he woke the next morning, he was no longer by himself. Sitting all about him in a circle were men, women, and children, some of the most beautiful men, women, and children he had ever seen. They had taken care not to awaken him, and they had brought gifts. Did they think he was a god? As he bestirred himself, they came over offering food and drink. One who seemed to be a leader appeared to be asking if he were ill or hurt. He did not speak their language, but they easily understood his gestures. He quickly discovered that theirs, too, were easily understandable. Indeed, he found that everything about these people was simple and graceful. They accepted him immediately and made him one of them. He learned their ways of communication. But there was one idea he was totally unable to convey, that at times he wanted to be by himself. On this island, no one was ever left alone. When a baby was born, the people did not sever the umbilical cord. The child thus remained extremely close to its mother throughout its infancy. 
If the mother wanted to have another child, the umbilical cord was severed, but only from the mother, and her end was then reattached by a simple surgical procedure to one of the older women who continued to care for the child until it was ready to mate. As part of the wedding ceremony, the future partner's cords were severed, but again, only the ends that were connected to the parent's surrogates. And, as each loose end was attached to the intended spouse, the bride and groom were thus united. In those cases where a mother had had only one child, the cord was reattached directly from natural mother to spouse. Shortly before a wife was to give birth, the husband and wife had their cords unjoined, and the husband could then become attached to another female ready to leave her mother or mother surrogate. He also had the option of rejoining with his own mother, if she had not rejoined with her husband, or he could join again with some mother surrogate, perhaps his original one. While, to our modern sense, this way of bonding might seem primitive, even uncivilized, the effects of this constant attachment on society were astounding. Anger was unknown. Depression was easily cured. Crime was unheard of. Envy and jealousy never spawned, and competition and rivalry were totally absent. There was no such thing as embarrassment, nor any of those behavior patterns that we have come to call neuroses. If there was fear or anxiety, it was experienced only during that period of time when someone accidentally lost a partner. Such loss was always replaced as soon as possible, however, and the anxiety would quickly subside. Indeed, it was probably only because the islanders remembered these instances of loss that some sense of aloneness was known at all. Despite this, the expected death of a family member never increased anxiety greatly because everyone had the assurance that the family would quickly make a replacement available. Such backup also may have meant that individuals were freer to die. The man spent many years on the island, at one point becoming attached to a woman with whom he found mutual attraction. But he soon realized that he could not suffer her omnipresence, and rather than introduce the spoilation of bickering to these lovely people, he asked for a separation. There was perhaps one time when he thought he had found a woman who might have tried his way of life, but she changed her mind at the last minute and soon tied the knot with another. As he retold it later, her change of mind seemed to have less to do with any failure of nerve on her part than with a concern to calm her own family. They seemed to be becoming increasingly upset over the prospect of their daughters living unattached. After several years, the proverbial ship appeared, and he left these wonderful people, sadly. As always, he was astounded by their reaction, this time to his departure, for as kind and close as they had seemed, they now appeared to take his loss with perfect equanimity. In fact, he found himself wondering if they had ever cared at all. Whereas he, though he had been unable to be totally a part of their life, now found himself almost totally unable to separate. When he returned home, his family was overjoyed to see him again, though his wife, thinking he had died, had soon remarried. He himself remarried shortly thereafter, and the pain of the loss subsided. He tried to publish an account of his experience in several scholarly journals, but they all said it was too fantastic. He finally sold it as a fantasy. One reviewer thought his style too realistic. Many years later, a ship traveling in the same waters happened upon a gloriously beautiful, uncharted island. A crew went forth to explore. They were met by a patrol who ushered them firmly to headquarters. When it was seen that the men meant no harm, they were freed, and their ship was allowed to come into the port of the island's bustling metropolis.
The men were quite surprised to see such an advanced society so far removed from the rest of civilization. Newspapers contained all the sections of any modern daily. Current events, crime, economic issues, sports, fashions, the usual range of advertisement. You know, said one of the crew, as a child I once heard a story about a beautiful island just like this. A man claimed to have lived there for several years. He described it as one of the loveliest places he had ever seen, with the kindest and warmest people. In many ways he could have been describing this very place. Except that he said it was very primitive, and there was one other thing also, he said. If you could feature this, everyone went around constantly tied to someone else by their umbilical cords. Oh, I remember him, the tour guide said, as he ushered them all into a waiting hovercraft. That's just the way it used to be here, he continued, straining above the noise of the motors as they exploded into full throttle. But after he left, the pilot shouted back through the spray, we all cut them off. And the moral of the story is, the umbilical cord is infinitely elastic. The moral of this story puzzled me for a long time, and I really had to think about it to get some understanding. Now, one clue is the 10th question, which is the very last question in the discussion guide for this particular fable. And the question is, has anyone ever worked out a relationship with their mother? This is not to blame mothers, but what he is getting at, I believe, is the need for emotional connection runs deep. It is the thing we need most when we are infants, toddlers, and children, and most often receive connection, first and foremost, from our mothers. This is not always true. The need for connection can be satisfied by another caregiver, perhaps a grandparent or another relative, or even a caring adult that is brought in and paid for. But in most cases, our mother is the one who cares for our dependency needs early on, and that establishes this bond that is infinitely elastic, as Friedman says, that we have a connection with our mother for as long as we live and no matter where we are. As you've heard me say before, the other side of the coin is self-definition, and this is what teenagers go through when they are rebelling because they want to be their own person. I can certainly relate to this because I thought my mother was always very loving and supportive, but even so, I decided to graduate early from high school so that I could get out of the house, so that I could get some space on my own. Friedman makes the distinction between emotional distance and physical distance, and in my case, just because I was away from home doesn't mean that I was emotionally cut off, but it did create a little bit of space so that I could be independent, and that was helpful to me, even if it wasn't helpful to my mother. As I often say, there is a constant tension between emotional connection and self-definition. And the man who is deserted on this island highlights this because he loves the emotional connection from the people who inhabit the island, but there are also times when he feels overwhelmed because he still needs some healthy emotional distance so he can be on his own, so he can self-define. Of course, there is a hyperbolic nature to the culture that Friedman describes in this fable, but I think there is a parallel in the world. There are certain cultures that have more surrounding togetherness pressure, and that can help them be more stable. It is more about the community than the individual in these cultures, and they still exist around the world. 
The one thing that's important to remember is that even though these cultures tend to be more stable, they can also be smothering to those who really want to self-define. The point here is that emotional connection in general has a calming presence, as it did on the island, but in its extreme, it makes self-definition impossible. This is illustrated in the story when the man finds somebody that he might want to bond with without attaching but she bailed at the last minute because of surrounding togetherness pressure from her parents. It was not so much that she had second thoughts about herself being with this man without being fused, but it was the pressure, the anxiety that her parents created that caused her to back out. It's interesting that in the fable, Friedman says that this wasn't a failure of nerve. However, in his book, A Failure of Nerve, it is more often the case that leaders have a failure of nerve because they are not able to withstand the surrounding togetherness pressure that is created by the sabotage from the most anxious in the system. Friedman also uses hyperbole to describe the other side of the tension, which is self-definition. When the man leaves the island, everybody cuts the cord. This creates the ability to self-define and so-called progress happens where so-called civilization develops, but along with it comes all of the dysfunction of civilization. Crime and obsessive competition become the order of the day, very much like so-called advanced societies today. The lesson here for me is that self-definition can lead to progress, but without emotional connection, it leads to problems. So that tension, the leaders always need to hold that tension between self-definition and emotional connection. One final point I want to make here is that the fable demonstrates the concept of loss and replacement. This is the idea that in any system, when the system rushes to replace a loss quickly to provide comfort, it loses the opportunity for growth. I have seen this time and again in my pastoral ministry when a man who loses his wife remarries within six months. This is a classic case of loss and replacement, where by finding another companion, he is fulfilling the need for emotional connection. He is finding comfort, but he loses the ability to grow in resiliency, grow in emotional strength, because it takes away the opportunity to grieve. Friedman demonstrates this to the extreme in the fable because whenever somebody cuts the cord with one person, they immediately reattach it to another. There is immediate replacement of the loss, and everybody feels great, but there is no ability to self-define. There's no ability to grow emotionally and to be resilient. This brings to mind a mentor of mine who recently passed away, but when he was 70 years old, his wife died suddenly. About six months after the death, I asked him how he was doing, and he said he was leaning into the pain. He was embracing the grief process. He had also decided that he wouldn't even consider dating until he learned how to cook, clean, and do laundry for himself. He ended up starting to date somewhere about a year and a half to two years after the death and getting remarried three years after his first wife's death. And I thought, how healthy is that? That he actually was able to embrace the opportunity for growth that loss created. This is something that we can do as leaders because loss is constant. We are always encountering loss because of changes that happen. And when we embrace that, when we lean into that, we grow stronger emotionally and we grow more resilient. 
So to summarize two points here from this fable, the one I just mentioned about loss and being able to lean into that and grow stronger. And then, of course, the idea that leadership through self-differentiation manages the tension between emotional connection and self definition. To the extent that we lean too hard either way, we are not going to be helpful to the people we lead. But if we can show integrity, if we can act out what we believe and our values, and if we can share that in healthy ways while staying emotionally connected, especially to the most anxious, then we have a chance to lead positive change. And If you find that it is hard to do that in one way or the other, then look at that proverbial umbilical cord. It may not be your mother, but there may be a relationship that you need to work out within your own family of origin. And remember, they don't have to still be living. You are doing work for yourself, not for them. So you can do that work internally. You can think about what causes you anxiety in that relationship, and then you can move forward. You can lean into that pain and move forward. This is what non-anxious leaders do. That's it for episode 163. I will be doing another fable next week, so look forward to that. And you can connect with me at the nonanxiousleader.com. You can find the show notes at the nonanxiousleader.com forward slash 163. Until next time, thanks and goodbye. Thank you for listening. If you found this episode helpful, there are two things you can do to help others find this podcast. First, tap the subscribe button on your podcast app. And second, leave a review. I appreciate your help. Finally, you can find more resources as well as subscribe to my blog at the nonanxiousleader.com. Now, go be yourself.